Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast, where we go deep on the sport of gravel cycling through in-depth interviews with product designers, event organizers, and athletes who are pioneering the sport. I'm your host, Craig Dalton, a lifelong cyclist who discovered gravel cycling back in 2016 and made all the mistakes you don't need to make. I approach each episode as a beginner to unlock all the knowledge you need to become a great gravel cyclist. This week on the podcast, I've got the great pleasure of welcoming author and coach Stefan Barth. He's the author of a book called Ultra Cycling and Bikepacking, All You Need to Know, that was recently translated from German to English. It's a very deep technical book about ultra cycling and these long distance events, highlighting how different the training, preparation, and otherwise competing successfully in the events needs to occur. Stefan noted that in his preparation for ultra cycling events, while he could cobble together a number of resources, podcasts, videos, etc., there was no singular location that highlighted insights and philosophies and training methodologies that he could find. So he set on a journey to create the, this book. So I look forward to jumping into the conversation with Stefan. Before we jump in, I do need to thank Pillar Performance for their support of this episode. Pillar's a sports micronutrition company who's developed products that intersect between pharmaceutical intervention and sports supplements for athletes. As I mentioned previously, I'm really thinking about my overall health and well-being this year, trying to make some changes from a lackluster 2023. My nighttime routine and sleep has become a crucial part of being able to perform my best. Pillar's triple magnesium is informed by leading heart rate variability researcher, Dr. Dan Plews, and used by many high-performing athletes. Pillar has recently signed on as the official micronutrition partner of Israel Premier Tech. It has been integral to my end-of-the-day routine. 30 minutes before sleep, I mix in one scoop of Pillar's triple magnesium powder into a glass of water to help guarantee my body spends as much time in REM and deep sleep as possible. Pillar uses a high dose of glycinate magnesium, activating the parasympathetic nervous system, and ensuring you fall asleep and stay in that restorative sleep phase longer and longer. I've been tracking my HRV data each morning and it speaks volume as to what Pillar Triple Magnesium is doing for my recovery. Higher HRV and more closely linked REM and deep sleep cycles. On top of that, I feel better, more rested and recovered. If you'd like to try Pillar today, head on over to pillarperformance.shop for U.S. listeners, you can head to thefeed.com slash pillar and enter the code CRAIG for 15% off. That's CRAIG, C-R-A-I-G, for 15% off all first-time purchases. With that behind us, let's jump right into my conversation with Stefan. Stefan, welcome to the show. Hi, Craig. I'm excited to get you to know you a little bit better and learn more about the book you wrote, Ultra Cycling and Bikepacking, All You Need to Know. As we were talking about offline, I think it's a very interesting journey where many of us on are, are on as cyclists from starting to do gravel events, starting to do longer gravel events, getting interested in bikepacking. And I think as the, the sports evolve and the science of training evolves, it's super interesting to have a discussion with someone like you who's thought a lot about ultra cycling, 
how to train for it. You've thought so much about it that you've written a book about it. <laughs> yeah. And glad that it got translated into English. So more and more people are able to read it now. So I'm uh, really looking forward to our chat, Craig. Yeah. It's, so maybe that's a good point. To, let's, let's set the stage. Where are you located? And maybe follow that on by where did you grow up and how did you discover cycling in the first place? Okay. Yes, I'm from, from Germany and I'm located in Frankfurt here. And yeah, so the book is about ultra cycling and bikepacking. And that actually is where I started my cycling career. So it was like always I was I was driven to the to the longer, longer events. And even when I started cycling as a teenager, it was always okay, I want to go the for the 100 kilometers to the town that is a little bit farther away and uh, most of my friends, they were not able to reach these towns even by the bus. And I was feeling very, very cool just to be able to go there by bike. And somehow this this got my addiction to long distance cycling starting. And yeah, it developed from that. So I'm probably a young starter. <laughs> so I think it was like with 14 years that I did my first free day ride. And yeah, then it escalated quickly. And did you ever get drawn into kind of more traditional bike racing or was touring and long distance riding always your true love? Yeah, only for a short time. I, I had like a triathlon time. So I had a couple of years when I was more doing Ironman distance triathlon races. And that was the time when I got more professional in cycling as well, because I got more, yeah, I focused more on competitive cycling. And during that time, I did a couple of criterium races, but it never really catched me. So it's not, yeah, it was not to my taste to to ride in a in a bunch and to always uh, have this fear of, of of a crash. And I'm not the the guy made for speed, but rather for for long stretches and to to feel like the the exhaustion creep into your legs, but because of the duration and not because of the intensity. Got it. And where did your sort of professional life and uh, and cycling start to intersect? A couple of years ago. It was like really the time when I, when I did those Ironman distance races. That was like the beginning of putting more thought into how should I prepare my body? How should I prepare my mind? What do I need to do with nutrition to get better on those races? And yeah, that's probably where I started to think, okay, I could, or this is my passion and I will, well, I want to do something in my professional career in this area in the long term. And soon afterwards, I started to go part-time as a coach and I did like, in Germany, it's called medical fitness coaching. So I studied in an area where you put a lot of weight into how to coach athletes but at the same time how to do rehab and prehab yes and this i did some years in part-time and i had a full-time job in the finance sector and when i published the book or the german edition of the book ultra cycling and bikepacking at that time i had to make a decision because both careers would have been yeah one career would compromise the other one and then i decided or it was pretty easy for me actually to decide that I want you to have a job that is my passion at the same time. 
And so I decided to go all in in coaching and writing about coaching. That's super interesting. And it, it makes sense given some of the very technical elements of the book around physiology that you lean into that we can talk a little bit about later. And it also makes sense that Ironman journey, which you and I share. Ah. I, I feel like as athletes, Ironman, it's one of those disciplines that highlights your deficiency yes. of preparation very quickly, both physically, nutrition, and all kinds of things. So I'm curious, you know, building off upon that, when did you start getting drawn into the more ultra distance cycling events? Soon, soon after my first Ironman, actually. And at that time I did like big bikepacking trips as like base mile training for Ironmans as well. So I, I always try to have one vacation in summer and be like three or four weeks with my bicycle and ride as many miles as possible to build a strong or a strong foundation for the Ironman training. And during that time, I noticed that there's a crazy race in America called the Race Across America. I think it was some time about 2013, probably, something like that. When I heard the first time about this Race Across America and that there's an Austrian guy called Christoph Strasser, who's not living too far away from, from here, who is really good at it. And I was like, okay, he's crossing the whole continent in 10 days. This is crazy. And that's what I want to do. And yeah, that's, that's how I got drawn into this long distance cycling. And I think that actually kicked off here in Europe quite a uh, fascination for this sport in general, especially in Germany and Austria. And there popped up um, more and more 24-hour cycling events. And that was the beginning for me then. I started to, uh, to participate at these 24-hour events and yeah, just looked how how much can I do or how long can I go in 24 hours? And then this evolved into supported races. Mm -hmm. So I did a couple of races, ultra cycling races, where I had my own support crew, which is quite expensive. And at the same time, more and more bikepacking bike events popped up here in Europe, like transcontinental and more and more smaller ones. And yeah, then I switched. You were talking about the transcontinental and some of these other ultra endurance road cycling events how many days were those events taking yeah i think that the first when i when i started those the smaller ones were two or three day rides and my longest one was uh nine nine days one hour so this is uh, a bit more than three and a half thousand kilometers it's always super interesting to me when you kind of transcend that single day racing format to multi-day format to just understand the mentality. And I know some of this is included in the book, but I think it's great background before we get there. How do you handle kind of sleep along the way in those events? Yeah, it, it differs between like ultra cycling is not ultra cycling but it's important to make this this to distinguish between how long or is it a multi-day race or is is it just 24 hours because i think in in a 24 hours uh race at least for me there's no difficulty in uh no sleep at all so if you're doing a 24 hour race it's okay to have a stop time about 15 to 20 minutes only and in a 48 hour race it's 
still works for me without sleep, but uh, just if you are practiced at it. And everything beyond 48 hours is where it gets really tough and where I think you just have to sleep. You probably can go with a napping strategy, but it's way more fun if you sleep. <laughs> and that's something I think that some people underestimate the first time. Just because it's possible to push through doesn't mean it's fun. And to cut off the sleeping time is a sure way to get rid of the fun. That's for sure. <laughs> as you were as you were pursuing these new and different style races, were you able to find the resources you needed to understand how to train and prepare for them? Or was it more trial and error along the way? It was a lot trial and error. And <laughs> yes, there was, I think nowadays it's easier 10, 10 years later. There's a lot of more content on the internet and you have podcasts that go into different topics of ultra cycling and you have bloggers that post a lot but still there's not too much scientific background of it and when i started i tried a lot by trial and error and i also tried to find people obviously who have done it before uh, try to talk with them connect with them on social media and at the events use the time to to have a couple of words with them but it was a very uh, sometimes frustrating way because you had to invest a lot of time and you could not be sure that you, yeah, you get a return on your investment because yeah, then you, you tried something out, uh, for example, nutrition. And I had like one huge mistake I made when I tried to copy the nutrition, nutrition strategy of Christoph Strasser from his race across America. And he had like some. I don't know if it's it's sponsored product, but like some fluid nutrition. And he was always telling, okay, he drinks like 200 milliliters of this uh, fluid per hour. And that works fine for him. And I was, okay, if it works for him, I should try it as well. And I did it during a race. And this was probably re really one of my biggest mistakes because I totally underestimated that he's probably something like, 40 pounds heavier than me because I'm quite short <laughs> and he puts in a lot of more power and I totally underestimated how this power and this body weight factor correspond on your nutrition needs and I drank way too much and I consumed way too much energy which yeah ended in me at the roadside feeling very, very sick. And yeah, I had to do a complete restart. So I, I did finish the race, but after lying in the ditch for, for I don't know, 30, 40 minutes, I had to, to, to build in a period drinking only water, don't eating anything and just have a complete reset for my body and my mind. And then I could start again. But yeah, that's, that's the mistakes that I made on the road. And that's what the book is about, that not everybody has to lie in this ditch and make the same mistakes all over again. <laughs> you sort of alluded to this in, in your answer there, but if we go back to sort of what inspired you to write a book, I'm just curious how you would answer that question. Yeah, it's at the beginning, I was not planning on writing a book. <laughs> so um, probably this is the, the most important part because when I started, it was more like, okay, I... 
I had a lot of conversations and I have tried a lot of things and I wanted to write it down for myself first. So it was was not planned to, to make a book out of it, but rather a compendium for myself for future events. And also when I uh, thought about starting a coaching business, business, this was like a blueprint for my clients. And then I started to talk to other athletes about what I had until that moment. And they were really, really interested in this whole topic and to have a, a compendium for how to best prepare for ultra cycling events. And yeah, then I started thinking, okay, maybe I should look up into more and more papers and maybe I should add some some new chapters to it. And at that time I started with the interviews. So the book incorporates a couple of of interviewees or a couple of interviews I did with other athletes. And I started with those who are my friends, obviously. And we just sat uh, at a table for, I think with Mati Custer, I sat for almost eight hours and we talked the whole day about what are topics that he's interested in. And then I used these yeah, guideline or these topics that we discussed that day to go to other athletes, also to some, yeah, some very renowned athletes and just to ask them about their their experiences to in these topics and somehow the interest was yeah overwhelming because when i started i started with people i know and at the end i talked to lael wilcox and at the beginning i would not would not have thought that i will be talking to someone like lael wilcox about her racing experiences and be able to incorporate them into into my book so yeah, it was a process and it almost took four years from the beginning of when I started to write down the first sentences until I finished the book in German. It's almost four years. So it was probably way longer than normal. normally an author would take to write one book. Got it. Super interesting. Obviously, there's a lot of information about cycling training out there when you talk about maybe road racing or traditional mountain bike racing. And as we've mentioned, there hasn't been a lot documented about training for ultra cycling and bike packing. If there were a couple areas that you would highlight that are dramatically different from shorter races to longer races. Mm, yeah, we, we talked about one, which is like sleep, something that is completely unimportant for normal sports or which is only important when you talk about uh, recovery but there's no need to cut sleep during doing races and of course nutrition is a big big part because nutrition becomes even more important the longer the races also the whole part efficiency and how you sit on your bike how it gets way more important because you develop more problems with your neck, with your shoulders, with your lower back than if you are just riding your bike for five or six hours. And also the training aspect is different. So it's not just about pushing your lactate threshold or your your or getting more power to the pedal. Because at the end, it's not necessarily the athlete with the most power or the best power to weight ratio that wins the races but it's the one that has the best overall ability to ride the bike as long as possible and with as few brakes as possible. 
So many questions so are coming to mind. Way more important on this. Oh, okay. So uh, let's go. <laughs> Give it a let's shot. Let's go through some of those a little bit one by one. So we talked a little bit about sleep. Obviously, most of us we try to get eight hours of sleep a night when we're at home. Try to do rides well rested every time in order to compete in some of these events and in order to even maybe just do them, you need to be able to sleep outside. You need to be able to sleep on the go. When you, maybe it's easiest if we talk about a, a four day long event, for example, what is a sleep mm -hmm. strategy that maybe a, someone newer to the sport could, could realize and, and, and approach? Yeah. Yeah, at the beginning, I would always recommend to have like a longer sleeping break every night, something like maybe three hours or, or three hours sleeping time, which will translate into something like four or four and a half hours stopping time. And the important thing is to know sleep cycles, you know, because your your body or your mind, your brain goes through different sleep stages during the course of the night. And I think a lot of people already heard this, that it's easier to wake up if your total sleeping time can be divided by 90 minutes. And this reflects those sleep cycles. It's easier to, or you have one, you have four, four sleep stages. And one of them is where you are sleeping really, really deep. And if you wake up or if you get woken by your alarm clock or friends, whatever, during this really deep sleep, this will be very confusing and you can actually, if, if it is combined with the physical exhaustion, it can happen that you wake up and you're feeling disoriented and you don't really know it. where am I, am I racing or what's going on? So it's good to know your own uh, sleep cycles because they differ from this 90 minutes a little bit and they get like, they get each time you go through them during the night, they uh, get a little bit longer. So if you are trying to sleep three hours, around three hours, the for most people, it's better to sleep, for example, three hours and 10 minutes, um, which reduces already the risk of uh, waking up from this deep sleep stage. And then I would always recommend to have routines. If you're going for a four or five day ride, it's way easier to go to bed around the same time every evening and to wake up around the same time every morning. It's a little bit like in your everyday life. If you're working on shifts and yeah, you have to, uh, someday you're waking up at 6 a.m. Sometimes you have to wake up at 10 a.m. Then it gets really, really hard to, to be fit in the morning. And uh, during the event, it's the same. It's way easier to have a, a routine and also transfer this routine as or as much as possible to to the whole cycling event for example also it's a good idea to have your lunch break around the same time each each day which makes life way easier especially for beginners yeah i imagine so one of the things i wanted to highlight which i thought was interesting you mentioned you know if you're intending for a 3 hour sleep you probably need a 4 hour window of time and as someone with a limited amount of bike packing yeah. experience i i can I understand that because you need to get off the bike. You need to cool down. You may need to change to get comfortable. You have to lay out your sleep gear and then you have to do all that in reverse to get yourself back going. So yeah. it's interesting to, to hear you highlight that, which makes sense as you've said it. 
Yes, and that's also one uh, very, very good advice, which I learned from, from one of my interviewees, because uh, a lot of us, we are quite organized and we like, like it structured. And so a lot of people, when they do their first bikepacking experiences and they have this sleep break, they like they uh, arrange their whole equipment so that after their sleep break, they can be moving as fast or, yeah, yeah, as fast as possible. So like you're already putting out the, the gear that you're needing after your sleep break. And that oftentimes is a huge mistake, actually, because if you push your, your, your limits a little bit, then you are already a bit sleep deprived, maybe, and you are physically, physically completely yeah. exa exhausted when you have been riding for maybe 15 hours this day. And then you are trying to make decisions before you go to sleep. And oftentimes you need way longer to make decisions. And then those decisions are not always the best ones because after you wake up, you notice, ah, it's way colder than I expected, or I feel way colder because just my, yeah, my, my heart rate is really, really slow after, after sleeping. But I already packed my, my warm clothes at the complete, uh, yeah, the most down, downward, uh, in my, in my bikepacking bags. And so it's a good, good advice to just grab your sleeping bag grab your mattress or whatever you, you use, your BV bag, and just close your eyes. Try to fall asleep immediately. Don't forget to put your alarm clock, <laughs> but uh, do the whole equipment thing and arrangement. You can do this all after you have slept and you will notice that you are way more alert, you are awake, and you will make better decisions. The second thing you mentioned to drill into was nutrition. And again, many of us have done gravel events, a hundred mile, maybe 200 mile. And we sort of know, oh, we could get by with sports nutrition all day long. How do, how do we need to think about it differently if we're extending to that example four day event? Also there's, yeah, there's some parts are for nutrition. Some parts are the same, like in normal cycling, especially during training. So it's, you have the same amounts of carbs per hour that you try to get in during your training rides, for example, so that you get the best physical adaptions. But at the same time, you need to plan ahead and think about what can you get during a bikepacking trip, because you are, are limited oftentimes to gas station food or uh, if you're doing races in remote places like the Silk Road Mountain Race or the Atlas Mountain Race, uh, well, you have to eat what you can get there. So it's always good advice to experiment a lot with nutrition so that you know uh, mm. which kind of food can I take down, which kind of food can I stomach, and what do I like probably. Because, yeah, if you are used to going with sports nutrition or with sweets, I don't know if you ever tried to to survive on those sports nutrition gills and uh, bars for for eight hours. Yeah, it, so, it it does add up, and you do get quite sick of them by the end of the day. Yeah, and I think you you get a feeling in your mouth that's like sticky yeah. and doesn't feel feel very nice. So yeah, it's good to know this in advance and to experiment with other foods also with solid foods that you can buy like cheese or like sandwiches and like uh like rice and stuff like this if just to try it out and to learn 
Can you digest it? Does it taste good for you during writing? So this this would be like the first step to to get a bit more experience with different kinds of foods. And then another part is like proteins. You need proteins on a longer ride, uh, even though you don't need them during short rides because your body is not, or it's it's easier for your body to to transform carbs into energy. But during a four-day ride, you also need proteins for your recovery periods, especially if you plan on sleeping three hours every night because then your body actually has the time to recover a little bit from day to day. Where, In your opinion, where's the cutoff point for needing protein in your cycling nutrition in terms of hours? Would you need it in a, in a, in a 15-hour day or does it not come into play until you're 24 hours? That's a difficult question, and I'm not sure if there's like scientific proof for when it gets uh, beneficial. But I would always already include it if you go beyond those recommended durations for cycling, because like if your ride is longer than five six hours, this is already a, almost a little bit too long to build up endurance. And if you stretch these these time frames, I think it's beneficial to add up some some proteins as well. And definitely, if you go beyond beyond those yeah. fifteen hours, um, and it's individual, you will probably notice it. For example, uh, when I eat too, or I, when I limit myself to to carbs during a ride, at some point I will get a headache. I need some fats or some protein. Otherwise, my body tells me. Okay, this is this is just too restricted to to carbohydrates. Um, so if you notice something like this, it can be the solution to eat something with fats and proteins. And then there's also, especially with proteins, a huge difference between male and female athletes, because there's yeah, like males are way more, or it's. It's they are way more dependent on carbohydrates on carbs during during activity, and female athletes they are more dependent on carbs after the activity for recovery purposes. So female athletes they also need a little bit more protein already during their rides. And then on to the next subject of positioning. Interesting that you highlight that as a key area of consideration. Can you talk through sort of some of the differences one might want to consider in their position as they go longer and longer in duration? Yes, <laughs> because the longer the, the duration gets, the more efficient you need to be. Because if you can save only 10 watts or every day for a riding time of maybe 16 hours each day, you really save a lot and you really gain a lot of speed. And at the same time, you reduce your energy expenditure. And energy expenditure is like one of the key limiters in ultra cycling because it's simply it's it's really really difficult to get in enough energy for what you are burning. And so if you can reach the same speed with less energy expenditure, this already is a huge huge benefit. And so it's a good thing to have an aggressive position on your bike actually in ultra cycling and not being too focused on comfort because this is something many beginners are doing because bike fitters also are promoting this if you're going for longer rides try to get your position on the bike more comfortable 
And my approach is a little bit different because I think you can you can have an aggressive position on your bike, which is at the same time comfortable if you are putting the energy or the uh, time into your own flexibility, mobility and strength training, because most of the time the athlete is the limiter and not the bike. And so this is what I call efficiency in the book. Like the, the position on your bike is, is detrimental for your efficiency and you can gain a lot of efficiency by yeah, optimizing your own, your own uh, flexibility, mobility and strength. Yeah, I know you you go into sort of great technical detail on how to improve your strength and flexibility and mobility. And I would agree that those are critical elements for any cyclist, whether you're trying to get a more aggressive position or not. I can only speak to my own limitations, which are definitely hindered by a lack of mobility. And I, I spend a lot of energy these days trying to increase my mobility to have yeah. that all day long comfort because I, I I don't currently have that right now in my cycling. You know, as I go longer and longer, eventually my lower back's going to start to hurt, and it becomes quite a limiting factor in my own personal case. Yeah, and I think cycling is like a limiting sports or a limiting type of sports because we have we don't have a lot of different movements. We only have one type of movement because the the bike completely determines how your body moves and so the body is limited to to there's no rotational movement there's no sideways movement there's nothing more dimensional this is only happening in one in one plane and that triggers a lot of adaptations in our body that are not that good and in combination with a, with a lot of jobs where we are sitting like eight hours in front of a desk and then we go home and then we sit two hours on the roller or in, on the bike and actually we are only sitting. So there's a reason why cycling or cyclists chose a, a sports where you are sitting because we don't like to move too much. So <laughs> is there any, is there any like yeah. sort of silver bullet in terms of mobility exercises that are your favorite go-tos yes definitely because like the the disadvantage of the bike giving you or limiting your your mobility and your your range of motion during during riding is also a kind of an advantage at least from my coaching perspective because you can be pretty sure that almost every cyclist has the same problems because we all have exactly the same movement. If you compare this to other sports like like football or ice hockey or something like this, like there's a lot of potential injuries and um, sources of injuries and because every athlete is moving in a different different way, but cyclists they are all moving in the same way, so we are having the same trouble. And um, one of those troubles is that we are losing the flexibility in our posterior chain. So like the, um, the pedal stroke is highly dependent on your quads. So this is where the power comes from. So you get really, really strong, strong quads. And your body uh, needs to compensate this because the quads, they are, they are pulling at your, at your hips and at your pelvis. So you need the same amount of force at the back of, of your body, at the posterior chain. And since we don't have strong 
backs of the legs because this is just pulling up the pedal again and this is like the recovery phase of the pedal stroke what your body does is it tightens the hamstrings because tight is like the compromise you if you if you don't have uh, muscles you get tight muscles just to have like this counterbalance to the very strong quads so it's always the first part of a mobility flexibility training for cyclists is always gaining more flexibility in the in the hamstrings in the backs of the legs and afterwards st strengthening these body parts that you have a counterbalance to to the quads interesting that's helpful the final area you touched on and i'm going to add a, a, a an additional component to it you you talking about training and you were talking about how simple power to ratio, weight ratio which may be the sort of the predominant metric in road cycling is not necessarily going to make or break your success as a ultra endurance cyclist. So if you could talk a little bit about that, and then I would add on just a question around mindset. Yes. So I think in long distance cycling, it's more important to, to increase the capability to cycle at, or just a little bit below your threshold. So if you, if you started with Maybe you can ride four hours at 50% of your threshold. Then it would be a very, very good or a huge benefit if you increase this, this uh, capability to 60 or 65% of your threshold. And your threshold can actually stay the same the whole season. It does not necessarily need to, to go up all the time, but it's, it's very important that you, that you can sustain uh, huge amounts of time near your threshold or that you that you can gain yeah that you can push up those those percentages so this is what i try to with my coaches most of the time in training to to increase their ability to to get to those 60 or 70 percent in a in a 24-hour race and what kind of uh training efforts help to that end it's a lot of steady state riding so a lot of riding a little bit below your threshold but doing this for for longer periods of time for example if you are looking in the typical uh, training plans generated by strava or by swift you will see a lot of a lot of efforts a lot of intervals that are lasting only a couple of minutes and i also i'm a big fan of having those long intervals of 20 minutes sometimes or even 25 minutes almost at your threshold and that's a very good way to get better at at riding near your threshold because your body gets very very good at eliminating the lactate from your blood while pushing hard so you you reduce reduce the the level of lactate that is building up in the in the intervals Gotcha. So if you were out on a, on a training day for one of your athletes, would it be something like, you know, two or three 20 minute intervals at 65% of threshold with 10 minute break in between something like that? Yes, but way more than 65% of threshold. It's more like 90% of threshold for 20 minutes then. Okay. So it's like, but it's a slow buildup. If you start with this kind of training and you're going maybe with eight minutes in each interval and do this three or four times, then you are 
this is a good start. And if you do this a couple of weeks, at some point, this will it will make it will make uh, like you put a put put a switch on, and it will be, you will be able to go for twenty or thirty minute intervals. Yeah. As you're thinking about for your athletes, these longer events and selfishly, I'm thinking about my own 200 (laughs) mile or 360 kilometer aspirations this year, obviously in a lot of the training plans, you might see, you might have a six hour training ride or an eight hour training ride. These events are going to last longer than that. You know, it might be a 15 hour day for me. And certainly for a 24 hour or four day event, you're talking about thousands of kilometers how do you in training kind of build up to that capacity to continue on for these distances? Yeah, um, you need to stretch the traditional cycling distances from time to time because um, I like to, I, or I call this challenges um, because you, you need to know how your body reacts to those long rides. They are not very efficient in building up endurance. Like I said earlier, there's like five to six hours. If you are already a very good cyclist, maybe you even benefit from a seven-hour endurance ride. But everything that is longer than that, just, yeah, just you need more recovery time afterwards, but you don't get the physical adaptation or not more physical adaptation than from a four or five hour ride. But in ultra cycling, or also in what you are doing on the gravel bike, you need sometimes a ride that lasts 10 or 12 hours, just so that you know, okay, how will I feel when I'm really exhausted? And how will I cope with nutrition? Will I be able to eat at the end? Because I think that's something probably you know it from your triathlon time. Eating gets difficult the longer you are you are um, active. So yeah. you really need to know, okay, does the food that I can stomach after five hours, can I still stomach it after 10 hours? And how, how does my butt hurt after 10 hours? Because this will hurt different than after five hours. And it's good to know how this feels and how you can cope with it. And then you can, you can think about a strategy, how you will, how you will tackle this problems during unbound. So yes, I, I incorporate rides that are longer than 10 hours from time to time, but limited. Not, it's not, it's no good if you do this every weekend. A couple of questions that came up after your last comment, Stefan, around training. So I remember from marathon training, like we'd only run 22 miles and we'd never run that full distance thinking you'll be able to get there on race day. The second thing for my ultra marathon training was we would often do a long day on Saturday and then follow it up by a medium day on Sunday. And my understanding of that philosophy was, hey, we can't beat you guys up. We can't have you running 35-mile days quite regularly, but we can do a 22-mile day on Saturday and a 15-mile day on Sunday to try to kind of make the body feel like it's done this long event. Does any of that track with the type of training that makes sense for ultra cycling? Yeah, 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 exactly. And the final thing I want to touch on, and I mentioned it a bit earlier, was just sort of mindset and I thought about this a lot as we were talking about sleeping and waking up from a a three-hour sleep, having to get your gear ready and get going again. I could just see in myself struggling to kind of 
put put pedal in front of pedal after you know just sleeping for three hours. So can you talk about the importance of mindset and maybe if there are any tips and tricks that one can learn to keep keep pedaling forward? Yes, definitely. Because you you need to find like a sweet spot between recovery and exhaust exhaustion during training. So I also like to do those back-to-back sessions, for example, also with those long interval sessions we spoke of earlier that I am doing like maybe on Friday, some really long and hard intervals followed by a long ride on Saturday, followed by a short ride on Sunday to build up this, this exhaustion over the weekend, but still without compromising your recovery completely. So yeah, that's that's a good way for for those working athletes. Interesting. I mean, it sounds like with all this, you know, preparation and doing the work leading up to your event is key. It's probably a trite thing to say, but I think that work for ultra cycling clearly is a lot longer than it is for shorter events because I do think you need to prepare yourself mentally for all the intricacies around your sleep system and getting up and preparing the different types of nutritional needs as you've, you've outlined and the, just a different mindset you need to go going into these events. Yes. There's, there's a couple of, of little hacks that I, I like to include or that I included in the book because when it comes to mindset, I have a little bit a different opinion than a lot of people out there, I think, because from my point of view, the mindset is a little bit overestimated when it comes to ultra cycling or some ultra adventures, whatever you call it, because in the general public, it always comes down too much to the mindset. And from my point of view, your base or your, your fundamentals are always a good physical condition. And that's what you really need to finish those events. And of course, you can finish an ultra cycling event or a bikepacking event just by mindset and by iron willpower. But this will mean that you will do sacrifices and maybe even sacrifice your health in in some situations. And I don't like that too much about this sports. And I don't like that in the general public, people focus so much on this. So from my point of view, it's always more important to build up your physical capacity. And then mindset is important, of course, because like you said, you go out there and you will have uncomfortable situations. But then it's more Uh, willpower what you need you need to like you need small life hacks that will that will keep you going and i like to to dig a little bit into how our brain works in these parts because our brain is like still the same brain that we had thousands of years ago and it's divided into parts that are focused on emotional or on emotions on feelings and you have parts in your brain that are focused on the rational thinking there's a couple of tricks to better get those rational thinking parts in your brain working and this will help you a lot in ultra cycling events because yeah you will trigger a lot of those 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 feelings that are very ancient in in humans and your brain will correspond with reactions that are also very ancient 
and those are oftentimes not the best <laughs> the best uh, reactions so it's important to to keep rational and to keep your thinking going so one life hack for example is very very easy and that's the the stop button you can visualize a stop button uh, once you notice that your thoughts are dysfunctional and this stop button or the sign like on the roadsides on the highways i'm not sure how they are looking in the us but here in europe this is like a big red sign whereas in white there's written stop on it and just by visualizing this sign which is a very very easy picture to visualize you can you can stop those emotional parts in your brain from taking over completely and you gain a few seconds and this is oftentimes enough to start rational thinking and once you start rational thinking you will notice that you you are way better you are better able to keep your willpower because you keep yourself in control yeah and it's it's a difference between motivation and willpower so like motivation is the thing that uh, gets you going in the preparation and which is probably the the reason why you signed up for the event and which which is the reason why you are willing to put in all those training hours and then during the event itself you need willpower <laughs> that's the thing that will bring you to the finish line yeah hundred percent. I think Stefan, that's a good place to end it. I appreciate the time this evening calling in from Germany. Appreciate you taking the time and effort to document everything in this very thorough book on ultra cycling and bike packing. I think you did a great service to that community in the world. And we'll certainly put links to uh, how to find the US version of the book in the show notes of this podcast. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for your invitation, Craig. Cheers. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride Podcast. Big thanks to Stefan for joining the show. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride Podcast. Big thanks to Stefan for joining the show. It's so fascinating for me to think about these ultra cycling events and the differences it would require in order to be successful there. If you're interested and able to support the show, ratings and reviews are hugely appreciated. Or if you want to contribute financially, please visit buymeacoffee.com slash the gravel ride. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.